This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We are um, continuing our series this morning. We're actually finishing our series this morning that we're calling Seasons. And uh, we've been it for the past two weeks. Today is our third week, our third and final week of Seasons. And we said that this thing is cyclical, right? We said that there are consistently, anytime God calls us to something or designs us to do something or pushes us towards something, there's a cycle. There's a a season of preparation, there's a season of process, and then there's a season of promise, right? And so in week one, if you missed any of this stuff in the last two weeks, uh, you can catch up on our podcast at centralchurch.cc slash podcast, and you can kind of fill in some of the gaps of some of the things that I'm going to be referencing today. If you're a little confused or whatever, you can, you can uh, catch up that way. So we started week one in the season of preparation, and the main message of that morning was that faith and preparation go hand in hand. It's not that we can just have faith that God is going to do something and then sit around and wait for it to happen. There has to be preparation on our part. They are not mutually exclusive from one another. And so we've been trekking through the story of Moses, and we looked at the preparation that his mother made in putting him in the Nile River at the specific time, specific place for the the princess to find him and to take him in and to ultimately rescue him. And so we talked about the preparation there, and then we also talked about the preparation of Moses in the palace growing up in Egypt with all those things, how that prepared him moving forward into what God had called him to do. And then in week two, we talked about the process. After the preparation, then there comes the process where you got to kind of work this thing out. And we reminded ourselves that uh, just because you're following Jesus and just because you're doing something that God has called you to do doesn't mean that it's going to be rainbows, butterflies, and unicorns the whole time, like you're walking on clouds, right? There is opposition. There is hard work involved in the process of becoming all that God has called you to be and doing all that God has called you to do. And so we looked at Moses and how the second 40 years of his life, he spent it on the backside of the desert with nothing as a nobody tending tending his father-in-law's sheep, right? And we said that this process was grueling, this process was tough. And we said, we highlighted kind of three phases of the process. We said at the beginning of the process, timing, God's timing is everything. God's timing is paramount. God's timing is the most important thing. Remember, Moses tried to jumpstart this thing by killing the Egyptian and get this whole thing going, and he put the cart before the horse, and it just was a catastrophe, right? And it sent him into this spiral of a situation. Uh, We said God's timing is everything, and then once you get into the grind of the process, we need to remember that hard work is required. It takes hard work to achieve the things that God has called you to achieve. It doesn't just happen. God's not like, oh, you believe in my son? Cool. Here's everything you ever wanted, right? That's the prosperity gospel. It's a load of crap, okay? That's not the way that it works. And that's me putting it nicely in church, calling it a load of crap. Um, And then we talked about um, today, we're going to continue this conversation talking about the promise. And so those of you who thought, oh, good, finally, the promise week, this is going to align with my Joel Osteen theology. Just, Just be easy on all that. Um, You can send me your strongly worded emails later. But the promise is essentially like the culmination of the preparation and the process. 
right? And it's this promise. It's kind of the, the deliverables, the, the thing that the, when we're doing it, it's like, yes, this is what God has called me to do. This is where he's called me to be. This is who he's called me to be. And so as I was preparing for this this week, and I was thinking through, how can I take something that's kind of abstract and make it make sense to, 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 to a majority of the people? And I thought about my engagement. How many of you in here have been like married or engaged or gone through the wedding process or something? Okay, so you, many of us are somewhat familiar. So um, it got me thinking about it. You know, when, when a couple is dating and they decide that they're going to take the next step and become engaged and start preparing for marriage and all of that, uh, when we do that, it's this idea, right, that I really like this person a lot, you know, like a whole lot. And I think that I just might want to spend the rest of my life with this person, like committed to this person. This is going to be awesome. We're going to, it's, I just love them. There's so many things I love about them. There's so many things they love about me. It's just, it's this beautiful thing, right? And then you get engaged. After the engagement, you get engaged. And all of that stuff that made you get engaged in the first place typically falls to the wayside and becomes secondary to the wedding. Have, did anyone else experience that where like, then for the whole engagement process, it's like the wedding. Who's invited to the wedding? What colors are we wearing for the wedding? What's the caterer going to be for the wedding? What's the photographer for the wedding? What food are we going to eat? Where are, we, are we going to dance? Are we going to get a DJ? Are we going to get a band? Who's going to do the wedding? Where's the wedding going to be? Where's the reception going to be? Who's paying for the alcohol? For the, is there going to be alcohol? How is this all, right? Is that anyone else's experience or just all the most of the weddings that I've ever done in my life and I've done a lot of weddings? Those of you not raising your hand are lying in church, Okay. But, I mean, that, that kind of becomes a thing. And so we get super focused on this, like, event, right? We get super focused on this event, and really the whole point of it is the marriage that comes after. But we get so pigeonholed on this event that oftentimes, sometimes we lose sight. At least in my relationship, when we were getting married, that was kind of the deal for us, right? The wedding became a, a really big deal. My wife is from Tennessee, and so uh, we got married in Tennessee, and they do things different in Tennessee than they do things here, right? I was like, yo, let's just get some pizza and hang out. It's gonna be dope. My wife's like, <laughs> and uh, so it was just, it was a big process, and at times we would get up in the rafters about things, and like, oh my gosh, is this gonna work? I was like, how, uh, and we get kind of, kind of spinning, and my wife's dad, who's like one of my favorite people in the world, my father-in-law, he, um, he would consistently give us this piece of advice that would kind of like be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we like each other in all this. <laughs> okay, yeah. And he would say this. He would say, listen, listen, enjoy the journey. He would say, enjoy the journey. Don't get so stressed out about the event. Don't get so stressed out about the arrival. Don't get so stressed out about the wedding that you forget why you're doing the wedding anyway. Don't get so stressed out. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. And I didn't realize how great priceless advice this was until like the day after the wedding because those of you who know after you have your wedding you're like oh so that was it huh okay <laughs> that cost how much <laughs> what man you know and we dedicate like our time and energy and focus and money for like months leading up to this thing and then when it's over you're like oh I guess it didn't matter what color everybody wore. Nobody cared. Their ties were around their heads by the end of the night anyway. You know, it's like, whatever. You know, and it just becomes this thing. But I, I feel like this, this whole perspective of like the difference and the, the contrast and comparison between a, uh, a wedding and a marriage is going to kind of touch the overall arc of what we're talking about this morning uh, with, the process, or with the promise and the journey and all that. So we're going to pick up where we left off 
with the journey of Moses last week, and we're going to pick up there this morning. So let me pray, and then, uh, and then we'll jump right into uh, to Exodus and get, get this thing kind of going. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much uh, for what you're doing in the life of this church. Thank you so much for um, the story of Moses and all that it teaches us, all that it shows us, all that it illuminates to us about who you are and who we are and what that relationship looks like. God, this morning, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you'd open our minds. I pray that you'd use me as an effective mouthpiece for your truth, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave challenged, that we would leave edified, that we would leave changed. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 is where the story of the burning bush takes place, right? So until now, Moses, uh, just like a two-minute two recap, Moses put in the Nile River, raised by Egyptians, tries to jumpstart this thing, kills an Egyptian, has to flee, bails, goes and lives in the land of Midian. He's there for like 40 years, tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of nowhere with nothing. He's a nobody. And then he sees this bush. This is where we find ourselves. He sees this bush. He's got his flock way out in the middle of nowhere. He sees this bush on fire up on a mountain, and he's like, huh, Okay. But this bush continually burns, but it's not being engulfed in flame. Like, it's not, like, singeing up and charring out and smoking out. It's just, like, consistently on fire. And so he's like, okay, I must have eaten the wrong berries for lunch, right? What is going on here? So he goes over there and checks it out, right? Because he probably asked the sheep. He's like, yo, y'all see this? Because he's out in the middle of nowhere, probably going a little, 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 little loopy. Uh, yo, okay, let's go check this out. So he goes up there, checks it out, and then the bush starts talking. And he's like, I definitely ate the wrong berries for lunch, right? Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but... <laughs> That's at least how I picture it, you know, like a bush is talking, yo, it's talking. Have any of you guys seen uh, The Three Amigos, that movie? The, the singing, what is it, The Singing Bush or whatever? It's the best. No? How many of you have not seen The Three Amigos? All right, look around. Those are the people not going to heaven. Look, <laughs> look, real quick, real quick. <laughs> no, so this burning bush, he goes up, walks up, starts talking to it, and, and God starts speaking to him through this bush. He starts talking to Moses, and he's like, yo, listen, I've heard the cries of the, of, of the Hebrew people who are uh, being enslaved um, by the Egyptians. He's like, I've heard their cries, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to step in. I'm going to liberate my people. I'm going to you know, release them from bondage and slavery. I'm going to take them to the land of milk and honey. I'm going to deliver them to the promised land of, of uh, Isaac, Jacob, and all these dudes. It's like, you know, this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, this is what I promised them for their descendants. I'm ready to move. I'm ready to do this thing. And Moses comes back, and he's like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not your guy. You know, like, mm, not me. And God's like, no, 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 you're, you're the guy. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not. And, and God's like, no, no, but for real, you are. And he's like, no, but for real, I'm not. Like, I'm not the guy. And God's like, no, for real, for real, I'm God, you're the guy. And he's like, uh, well, um, you know, I'm not sure about this. And so he lays it out. He's like, here's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh. Uh, there's going to be plagues and all this stuff. But the whole time you just need to trust in me. You need to trust that I got you, that I'm with you, that this thing's going to work out. And again, Moses is like, yeah, no, I'm not the guy. And finally in, um, in uh, what is it, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, uh, God comes back at him. And he's like, yo, you're the guy. And he's like, I'm going to give you Aaron, who's your brother. He's going to be like your teammate, your partner, your like wingman or whatever. And you guys are going to do this thing. And I'm going to be with you, so don't freak out. And finally Moses is like, okay, cool. Yeah, I, 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 guess, I guess I can do this thing, right? And so that's how this, this conversation at the burning bush goes. This is like the promise is about to come to fruition, right? He's about to go and liberate the people of Israel from the Egyptians. It's happening. It's finally happening. At this point, Moses is 80 years old. Homeboys have been waiting on this for a very, 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 very long time. 
and it's finally happening. But I love this little caveat in the conversation between God and, and, and Moses and kind of how it, it does like a callback 18 verses later. In, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, uh, God asks him a question. Is that question up on there? So, so they're having this conversation, and, and Moses is like, yo, I'm not doing it. And God's like, yo, you're doing it. And God says, it says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? While Moses is standing there talking to God. Now, Moses is holding a stick in his hand when God asks him that. Again, I like to think of the humanity of these stories. Think about what Moses is thinking about when God asks that. What's that in your hand? What do you mean, what's that in my hand? Like, I thought you created everything. It's a stick. You know what a stick is, right? Is he thinking that? Like, uh, or is he thinking, okay, is this a trick question? Like, uh, uh, or is it like, is God all of a sudden being passive aggressive to him? You know, like, what's that in your hand? Because I know it's not a gift. You're talking to God. What's up, right? And like, do, do these things go through your mind when you're reading? If, if you were reading the Bible and these things are going through your mind, it makes reading the Bible a lot more fun. So he's holding a stick, right? God says, what's that in your hand? And then the very next part of this verse, it says, a staff? <laughs> I mean, bro, it's a stick. Like, what, what do you mean, what is this in my hand? But I think that is so imperative because it does a callback to it 18 verses later. Because see, the stick that, that Moses is holding in his hand, you know what that represents? That represents the loss of his social status. That represents the loss of everything that he was supposed to have in Egypt now he's got a stick, and that's about it, you know? That stick represents what could have been a scepter in the palace of the pharaoh, but it's, it's, it's a stick. That stick represents 40 years of raising Jethro's sheep on the backside of nowhere with nothing and nobody. It's, it's a stick. It represents the death of the Egyptian. It represents him missing the call of God on his life. It represents failure and brokenness and this 80-year-old dude who is now a nobody talking to a bush in the middle of nowhere asking him, yo, what's in your hand? And he's like, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a stick. That's, that's what it is. But I think it's incredible. I think it's an incredible little nuance in here because that stick becomes something so powerful and so great. Moses walks into this conversation with God at the burning bush. And God's saying, you can do this. He's saying, no, I can't. He's saying, you can do this. He's saying, no, I can't. He's like, what you got? He's like, I got a stick. See, I told you I can't do this, right? And God's like, yes, you can, because later, it's awesome. In, um, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. It says, so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey. This is after he's decided. He's like, all right, this is it. I'm going for it. I'm going to do it. God's called me. He's got my back. Let's go. And so he says, so Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God in his hand. So this stick, this staff that he was like, <laughs> uh, it, now it's being called the staff of God. Moses brought what he had to the table, and God made it great. Because you know what that staff ends up doing? That staff ends up becoming the thing that he throws at the foot of, of Pharaoh, and it turns into a snake to exemplify God's power and authority in the situation. That staff is what he dips in the water of Egypt and turns the water to blood. That staff is what he took and he scooped up the dust and it becomes the plague of the gnats. That staff ends up being the thing that he places in the Red Sea that parts the water so the, so the Israelites can walk through. That staff becomes the thing he puts back in the river and it closes up 
on the Egyptians to free them from their pursuit of the Israelites. Moses brings his brokenness, his nothingness, his stick. And God says, I can do something with that. God says, I can work with that. I can make something out of that. I think that's so powerful because it's so applicable to us. God says, hey, I want you to do this. And we're like, oh, yeah, not me. No, 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 yeah, you. No, but you don't, but you don't know what, no, no. Yes, you. That, Sam, yes, you. That's who I'm, I'm talking to. No, but no. He's like, shut up. It's you. Right? And you're like, uh, okay, all right. He's like, what you got? Well, I got broken relationships. I got this failure and that failure and this baggage and that baggage. And I failed at this and that and the other. And he's like, okay, watch what I can do with that. Watch how I can put that to work. Watch how I can make something extraordinary out of your ordinary. Watch how I can make this thing come, to, come alive and do something massively incredible and powerful in your life. I think that's so huge and so powerful that God can do that. The simple stick that Moses brought was enough for God. It was all he needed for his plan to work. And so then we go and we look at the life of Moses, the overarching theme of this whole thing, right? You got the first 40 years of his life, and I had a nice little slide that laid all this out for you, but the first 40 years of his life was his life in Egypt. This is where Moses spent his time believing and thinking that he was a somebody, thinking that, oh man, I'm raised in the palace, I'm like, I'm like a prince, I'm like the man, whatever, educated, and all these things, right? Spends his first 40 years like that. He spends his second 40 years living in Midian, right, and the backside of nowhere, tending his father-in-law's flock, realizing that he's a nobody. He spends his first 40 years thinking, I'm a somebody, and then he spends his second 40 years realizing, I'm a nobody, and then he spends his final 40 years figuring out what God can do with a nobody. What God can do when we rid ourselves of all of our preconceived ideas of how great we are and we come to him with our brokenness and saying, God, use me. God, I'm willing. God, let's do this. And so the story goes on and we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And so this is after the Red Sea. This is after the, the, he's parted. The, the Hebrews have walked through. It crushed down on the Egyptians. They're no longer in pursuit. They're out here in the wilderness searching for this land of milk and honey, searching for this promised land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants and all of this. And so Moses is leading the people, and God's doing miraculous signs, and God's doing this and that and the other, and he's calling them together and showing them what God's saying, instructing them on following God and all these different things. And we find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter, four, chapter 34 at the very end of Moses' life. And it says this, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea the Negev and the whole region of the Valley of Jericho and the City of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes. So Moses is on Pride Rock looking over, right? This is a total Mufasa Simba moment here with God and Moses, right? All the land that you see before you, right? You guys... Anyone seen the Lion King? Yes? No? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've seen the Lion King. Those are the people that are going to be in heaven. Okay? Remember earlier the ones? Remember? Okay. All right. And so check it. So he's standing there. He goes, this is the promised land. This is what I've given you. You get to see this with your own eyes, but then check out the second half of verse 4. He says, I have let you see it 
with your own eyes, but you will not cross over into it. He says, you can see the promised land and that thing that you've been chasing your entire life and you thought that's what it was. This is what it is. This is the threshold. This is the event. This is the fulfillment of the promise. He says, you can see it, but you're not going there. You're not going there. He says in verse 5, it says, in verse 5, it says, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But on this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the weeping and mourning when the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. And so Joshua, if you know the story, Joshua is the guy who comes up after Moses and he ends up leading the Israelites into the promised land. It's recorded in the books of Joshua and it goes in Judges and all that stuff. And so the, the story of the Israelites continues. So Moses, I can almost guarantee that he did not envision it going down this way, right? I don't think that when he received the call of God to say, hey, listen, you're going to lead the Israelites out of captivity from the Egyptians, and you're going to do all this stuff, and you're going to take them right to the doorway, and then you're going to die and not get to partake in the promised land. I don't think that's how it played out in his head. I think he knew the call that God had in his life. I think that he knew where he was going and what he was called to do, but I don't think that this is what Moses had in mind, See, for Moses, I think it's a little different. I think it's kind of cool because I think it speaks to each and every one of us in our journey and our promise. I think for Moses, the journey was his, process was his promise fulfilled. I think his promise was fulfilled, fulfilled in the journey. I think that is when the promises of God came true for Moses. I don't think that the promise was a destination to be arrived at. I don't think the promise was necessarily a threshold to be crossed. I don't think the promise is where he ended the race. Like, oh, the promise is there, and so I got to get there, and I got to work towards there. And once I arrive, then that's the promise. I think for Moses, God's promise and God's calling and God's purpose was fulfilled in the journey. And that's a little bit different than the way our minds work sometimes. That's a little bit different than our perspective and the way that we sort of approach it. Because, I mean, even in, even in Christendom, right, and we're talking about heaven and real life and all these things in the afterlife, and I hear so many times, oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven, can't wait to get to heaven, can't wait to get to heaven, can't wait to get to heaven. Like, that is the goal. Like, that's the, the destination. That's the promise. And then we live like crap here and think that it's okay. Like, there's a disconnect there, you know? I think oftentimes the promise is fulfilled in the journey. Does that make sense? And that we're called to be Christ followers in the journey. I mean, check it out what it says and what it says about Moses in his journey. It, after the, the section that I just read, I just read verses 1 through 10 in Deuteronomy 34. In verses uh, 10 through 12, it says this. It says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This tells us three things about Moses. This is sort of Moses' obituary, right? He died in verse 9, buried him in Moab. Joshua, son of Nun, has taken over. And they say, but now here's, 
here's who Moses was. Here's his journey. This is, this is the promise of Moses realized right before our eyes, right? The first thing is it says, Moses knew the Lord face to face. Moses sought God above all else his entire journey. All throughout, you know, the four books that it talks through the life of Moses, he has meetings and councils where he's calling guys into his tent saying, yo, I was seeking the Lord and the Lord showed me this. I was talking to God and he told me this to tell you, this is where we're going, this is how we're doing it, this is how it's going to play out. And so he sought God above everyone, everything else. He spent time, energy, and priority on seeking God. The second thing, it says that Moses did what God called him to do. He did miraculous signs and wonders. He did all this stuff. Remember he showed up with a stick of brokenness and defeat and failure? And God says, no, I'm calling you to do something different with that. I'm calling you to leverage that, flip that upside down, and use it for my glory. I'm calling you to step out and to follow my guidance and my leadership. And Moses didn't back down from that. Moses was like, okay, cool, let's do this. And he steps up time and time again to lead the people of Israel. His past failures and insecurities and, and shortcomings didn't stop him from what God wanted to do in his life. He was bold with audacity, stepped out and followed what, where God was leading. And then the third thing, it says that Moses showed power and the deeds of God in front of others. He shared the awesomeness with God with other people. He had these councils in his tent to tell everyone what God was doing. He stood before Pharaoh and his courts and all these people to show them the power of God and what God was doing. I think these three traits weave throughout his entire journey, and he says this is the promise of God in Moses' life, who he was, the way he acted, what he did, how he did it, who he was doing it. He knew God face to face. He sought God above everything else. He wasn't afraid to, we use ludicrous all the time to illustrate this. When I move, you move. Just like that. It's the same thing. Every time God said move, Moses moved. Every time God said, hey, step up and do this, Moses stepped up and did this. He didn't back down because of his insecurity and his brokenness and whatever his past had to throw in his face. And he wasn't ashamed of it. He stood up with audacity and did this above and in front of everyone. And so here's the deal. Here's kind of how I think we can approach this to our, our lives and sort of our context and our personal journeys. Our promise isn't always something to achieve, okay? Our promise is not always something to achieve. Oftentimes, I believe it's someone to be, and there's a difference. Our promise is not always something to achieve. Oftentimes, it's someone to be. Our promise is God shaping and developing us on our journey. So it's not this idea of like, yo, I go preach these like 30,000 revi person revivals and share the love of God with the whole world, but I'm a total a-hole at the grocery store and the bank and everywhere else I go. And nobody can stand me and my kids hate me and my family's whatever. Oh, but I'm glory to God. I'm preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. No. You're, you're missing it. It's not something to be arrived at. It's someone to be. It's who you are in your journey. You know, oh, well, God's called me to be a pastor. Then be a pastor at the bank and be a pastor at the grocery store and be a pastor with your family. Be a pastor with your friends. Be the person all the time. It's not necessarily just about the journey. It's not just about the destination. It's about the journey. That's the whole heaven and the right now thing. Oh, I follow Jesus so I can spend eternity with heaven. Yeah, but you're a total jerk. Like, that's, those don't coexist with one another. Right? Fruit of the Spirit, hello. Did you miss that part? Right? So often there's this disconnect for us. Our promise isn't always something to achieve. Often it's someone 
that we're called to be. And that's where the whole wedding and marriage thing comes in, right? It's the difference between weddings and marriage. The wedding is an event. The marriage is a relationship. It's a journey. I saw a comedian, <laughs> I saw a comedian a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about weddings and how he was cynical of weddings. Not of marriage, but of weddings. Because he was like, you have these two people who are standing up there and saying, you know, um, I'm going to love you for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, they don't, they don't know what they're saying. They don't know what that look, they've never been that poor together, right? Like they, they just don't know. He said, that's not when the marriage starts. He said, you know when the marriage starts? I thought this was hilarious. He says, you know when the marriage starts? It's when you get to the airport the next morning, ready to go on your honeymoon, and your significant other looks at you and says, hey, uh, I forgot my passport. That's when the marriage starts, right? That's when you start to learn what the heck is going on in life and what's going on in this relationship, right? It's not the pretty, uh, I love you, right? Right? I mean, come on, right? But I feel too often many of us approach our spiritual journey like that, like it's a wedding rather than a marriage. And there's a big difference, big difference. It's not so much about arriving in the promised land. It's about the person you become and the impact you leave in your pursuit. Did you hear that? It's not so much about arriving at the promised land. It's about the person you become and the impact you leave in your pursuit. Maybe that's your season of promise. Does that make sense? It's a little different. Moses' promise was a little different than I think he anticipated. For some of us, it's a little different than I think we have crafted up in our minds. Because the story of Moses didn't end at his desired destination. He didn't get to walk in and be like, yo, pass the milk and honey, let's do it. Right? That's not the way it went down for him. But, the, but, but, but it chronicles his journey and how God used a nobody to do something extraordinary. Because he sought God. Because he was had audacity to follow the leadership of God. Does that make sense? And so that's huge for us to wrap our heads around. So maybe you're in here this morning, and one of these weeks that we've talked about in our series has kind of hit you funny, has kind of like tripped you up, has kind of caused you to maybe pause, maybe to think, maybe to think, okay, how does this work out? Maybe you're caught up in this preparation phase. You know that God has called you to something. You know that God has called you to be something, and, and you... you you are trying to sort of put feet on your faith, I guess. You're, you're realizing that faith and preparation are not mutually exclusive, that they are one in the same. And so I want to challenge you, if you're caught up in the preparation phase, I want to challenge you to couple your faith with preparation. I want you to, I want to challenge you. If you do this, it can catapult you into your process. You think that God has called you to be a worship leader, but you don't know how to sing or play any instruments? Oh, but God will just lead me. No, he won't. Okay? Take some freaking guitar lessons and learn how to sing. <laughs> All right? Like, preparation and faith. You're not going to faith your way into a good singer. It's just not going to happen. I've tried. Didn't work. Okay? Seriously. Oh, well, God's called me to be a pastor, but I'm terrified of public speaking. Then practice public speaking. Start preparing in that way because you know what? It's part of the gig. You know? If God's called you to do, begin to prepare yourself for that because faith and preparation coupled together can catapult you into the process. It can catapult you into taking you where God wants you to be and who God wants you to be. So if you're tripped up in the preparation, my challenge for you, please couple your faith with preparation. Couple your faith with preparation. If you're caught up in the process, if you're caught up with the process and say, man, this is, it's just, it's hard and it's not working and 
and I, I thought it was this way, but it's not. And I thought it was that way, and it's not. And it's just really not coming together for me. I want to challenge you. If God has called you, you can do this. Don't give up. If God has called you, you can do this. Don't give up. It might not look like you thought it was going to look. It might not be some destination that you're going to arrive at. But if God has called you, you can do this. He can take your stick, and he can make it a staff of God. You know? I would have loved, I said this last week, I would have loved to talk to Moses the day before he met the burning bush. This 80-year-old failure. Hey, man, how's life? How you feeling about this God thing? Probably not super, probably not super awesome, if we're being honest. Right? Got this here stick. Got these here sheep. Ate some funny berries. Saw some funny things. You know? Probably not a good day for him. But God can take that stick and he can make something incredible extraordinary and it might not look like you think it's going to look it might not play out the way you thought it was going to play out but if God has called you you can do this don't give up and if you're caught up in the promise and you're chasing some destination and thinking man if I could just get there man if I could just do that if I could just oh man that would be it life would be perfect that would that would be it I would challenge you with the same challenge that my father-in-law gave me during our engagement enjoy the journey Pay attention to where God's using you now. Pay attention to what God's doing in, through, and around you now. To the grocery store lady that you go in her line every time, even if it's longer because you're friends and you like to talk, pay attention to what God's doing in that relationship. Oh, I want to go save souls for Jesus. Pay attention to that relationship. Pay attention to your bank teller. Pay attention to that relationship. Pay attention to your kid's teacher. Pay attention to that relationship. The lunch ladies that you just yelled at because she got onto your kid. Pay attention to that relationship and what God's trying to do and teach you and show you in that. Enjoy the journey. Don't be so endgame focused that you miss what God is doing all around you right now, right where you are in the journey. Does that make sense? I think it can radically revolutionize the way we approach these seasons in our heart and these seasons in our life. And so what I want to do this morning, the band's going to lead us in another song. And I just want to give us an opportunity to do business with God. If it's the preparation that's tripping us up, seek God about that. If it's the process that's tripping us up, seek God about that. If it's the, pro- if it's the promise that's tripping us up, seek God about that. Because the Holy Spirit can comfort you, lead you, guide you, direct you. You just got to yield. You got to be like, yo, okay, all right, let's go your way. Let's do this. Let's do this. Because like I said, if he's called you to do this, you can do it. Don't give up. Let's pray together. God. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.